Well, amen. We're certainly glad again that you could be here. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4 as we continue this uh, mini-series, I guess if you would call it that. Um, when love is loathed. When love is loathed. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. We're going to read through verse 16. <clears throat> and then we'll go ahead and pick back up. Tonight, of course, we're going to be looking at a, an interesting side of the story. We're going to be looking at a whole other view, if you will. And we'll explain that in just a moment. I've mentioned it last week, and so we'll get into it this week. All right? Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. Let's begin right there. The Bible says, How be it then, when you knew not God, you did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. But now after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. <clears throat> Again, we've been spending a number of weeks on this issue and talking about this particular passage and making some applications along the way, but Again, we just uh, recognize that the Apostle Paul had entered into this particular city. He had preached the gospel. He had shared the truth of the Word of God. He had liberated the people that were there, the Gentiles that were there. Those that were in bondage to paganism were now free indeed in Christ Jesus. However, these Judaizers and some others came along and they went ahead and brought them back under the law. Tried to say they must abide by the law. And as a result, they're no longer in bondage to paganism. They're now in bondage to the law. And Paul's trying to say, listen, you used to, you know, you, you used to uh, uh, revel in your freedom and you used to be so great, grateful for what God has done and by bringing you salvation and you're no longer condemned to death and you now have victory in Christ Jesus. But now, again, you're putting yourself back under bondage and boy, I'm afraid of you. I'm afraid that possibly I've wasted my, my efforts. Is it possible that I've wasted my time? Have I invested in you to the degree now so much so that I have to say, wow, it was a waste of time? And he says, listen, you've not hurt me, though. I still love you. I still care. And my desire, my goal, and my heart is to see you prosper and to do well. But I want to see you have victory. And I want to see you following the word of God the way you should. And ultimately, there was some kickback. There were some that were not happy with the Apostle Paul. As a result of that, they even started basically implying that he was the enemy. That he was the one on the other end trying to bring them down and well, in the end, if we see in verse 16, he simply says, listen, you know, uh, am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? I mean, it wasn't that long ago, remember, you'd have plucked your own eyes out and gave them to me. That's how much you appreciated the ministry that I had toward you. You'd have given them in your own eyes. That's how much you uh, enjoyed the salvation that was delivered unto you. I mean, you would have plucked your own eyes out. That's how much you really loved me, cared about me. But now all of a sudden, I'm become your enemy because I tell you the truth. And so we've been spending time talking about that issue, and we talked about how, you know, so many things can cause the truth to seem like it can cause someone to become the enemy. 
Because truth, we said, confronts people and truth convicts people and so forth and so on. We, we addressed those issues already and we finally came on part that we come, got to the place where we said, all right, if someone is, is looking at, say, their pastor or uh, someone in leadership and saying, you know what, uh, I don't appreciate what you're saying, I don't appreciate the position you're taking, and honestly, uh, you're the enemy. You seem like you're the problem now. And we said, well, if that's the, the case, you know, what, what, can, what can the uh, person do? I mean, what can that brother or sister do if they've begun to develop an attitude of resentment or disgust toward their pastor? And we said, remember what the pastor's done for you and your family in the past. Don't forget, number two, his job and res- what his job and responsibility is. Number three, we said, give him the benefit of the doubt. Assume he has good intentions. Number four, we said, ask yourself, has his position changed or has mine? Then we said, number five, we said, <clears throat> is his position on the matter rooted in scriptural principle? Is mine? Number six, we said, approach him personally. And finally, we said, as we ended last week, pray that God would give him, give you the mind of Christ. Pray that God would give you the mind of Christ. Now, today I want to touch on this side of it. I want to ask the question, what should a pastor do if he has become the enemy in someone's eyes? How should he respond? And you say, well, why should we care how he should respond? Really, I mean, we're not pastors, so what does that matter? How, how's come, how can that you know, help us? Well, first of all, there's a number of parents in here. And parents can become the enemy real quick in their children's eyes if they tell the truth. There may be an, uh, an employer here. There, I mean, and that's a little bit different. I, I would have to address that issue maybe a little independently. But even so, people often under authority find themselves in some cases pointing to the authority instead of the truth as the problem. You may be that person at some point. Maybe at some point you'll be in charge of a ministry. And you'll ask yourself, why are people, why would somebody be upset with me? I'm only enforcing the rules. I'm only keeping, following the, the, the truth. I'm only doing what is expected. And I'm only maintaining what the word of God teaches and says. I don't understand what's the problem here. I don't know what I've done to deserve that kind of, you know, kickback or repercussion. Well, I'm going I'm to share with you how a pastor should handle it. And, and I believe you, what you'll find is that when it's all said and done, for the most part, this is how every Christian ought to handle it. But let's go ahead and take just a few minutes and consider what should a pastor do if he's become the enemy in someone's eyes? Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you'd bless us in these next few minutes. Encourage us from your word. We need you. We love you. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Again, let me preface by saying this. I'm not really aware if that's, this is the case. I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, preaching or teaching this because it's a, uh, a problem. I, I, I believe in pre, uh, preventative maintenance. And so we want to be prepared. We never want to be in a position like this. So, however, I, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I've been in this position as a pastor. I, I have been there. Okay? I, I mean, it doesn't happen a lot to, to, to Pastor O'Donnell. That, praise the Lord for that. I've known some pastors that, boy, I tell you what, I don't think they could walk 10 steps that they don't feel like somebody feels this way toward them. I just, maybe people feel that way toward me in the past. I just haven't recognized it. Maybe I'm just one of those people that says, well, obviously they love me. What's not to love? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I, 
I, I don't know. Maybe that's what, what, why I don't feel that way. But, but the truth is, is that I do and can say that this has happened. And, and you know what? How do you handle that, right? How do you handle that? You parents, some, some of you have been there. Your kids are, we'll talk about that. Anyway, number one, here's what you do. Expect it, but don't accept it as commonplace. First of all, accept it, but don't ex- expect it, but don't accept it as commonplace. Truth has always been attacked, and as the bearer of truth, so will you. Whether you're preaching the gospel at work or sharing the truth with a family member or friend, you may be viewed as the enemy. Maybe you've been there before. I mean, listen, in a sense, you need to expect that to some degree because we're dealing with flesh and we're dealing with Satan. But, but it, don't accept it as commonplace. See, we noted some examples early on in our study. We talked about uh, Micaiah and King Ahab. We talked about Stephen and the council. We talked about John the Baptist and the king and queen. And, and we noted some of these things that were going on and, and how they stood for the truth and how they took a stand for the, the, the word of God and how, as a result of that, they found themselves the enemy in the eyes of others. And why should this surprise us, seeing that the Bible is likened unto a few things? First of all, we know the Bible's likened unto a sword. Look in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, would you? I mean, the Word of God is likened unto a sword. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Who's there that'll read that? Brother Dave, are you there? Would you read that for us, please? For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even and dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's an interesting verse. Look at how the Bible is referred to, recognized as the sword. It's, the, it's a sword. The word of God. Not only that, but turn, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 23. That's in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 23. He's considered a major prophet, so his book's pretty big. If you just kind of flip through the pages of the Old Testament, we sh- should kind of run right into it here. Not too, not too, uh, it shouldn't should be too hard to find. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 29. Here we're going to see the Word of God described as two different, two other things. Now, the Word of God is described as others, but I just want to share these three with you. First of all, we see a sword in Hebrews 4.12. But notice in Jeremiah chapter 23, we're going to look at verse 29 now. Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? So here in this particular verse, Jeremiah 23, 29, the word of God is likened unto a fire. It's likened unto a hammer. So we see it as a sword, a fire, and a hammer. You know, it's interesting, swords cut, fires consume, and hammers crush and smash. So how do folks respond when they're cut to the heart with conviction? I mean, how do folks respond when their pride and, and, and the rough edges are being consumed with the fire of the word? How do folks respond when their sin is exposed and crushed? Well, they experience pain. It's a painful event. The Word of God causes pain in our life when it is in opposition to us, our philosophy, our, our outlook, 
our attitude, when we are convinced that we are right, but the Bible says that we are wrong, that hurts to some degree because of our pride. And it's interesting how people respond with pain and how they act in pain. Usually pain has a tendency to bring the worst out in most people. They become irritated, irritable, and even irrational with pain. It's funny, you know, with, 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 you know, when the word begins to cut, it begins to burn and, 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 and crush. Discomfort is the result. And that often causes folks to become angry and agitated and even very aggressive and even attacking. So as a minister, when this happens, it ought to trouble us. It ought to bother us. It ought to, it ought to just wrench our heart. It ought, to, it ought to do something internally to us. It shouldn't necessarily surprise us, however. Because, see, the book that we hold in our hand is, it, it, it's a fire. It's a, it's a sword. It's a hammer. And it's going to cause some damage from time to time in the psyche and in the mind and in the, the, the outlook of people. And may I say, people don't respond well to pain. So it, although it, it, it ought to bother us, it shouldn't surprise us that every once in a while this begins to take root in the life of someone who is in the congregation or possibly even in our own homes when they choose to go a different direction or they fail to follow in the word of God and they're being confronted or they're being convicted. There is no way to escape this completely. It doesn't matter how good a preacher you are. It doesn't matter how good a communicator you are. It doesn't matter how gracious you are. It doesn't matter how godly you are. You cannot escape this. It's just the way it is. But we should not be quick to accept it as normal either. Expect it, but don't accept it as commonplace. And, and I guess as we move along, I'll kind of make, even with the next point, will kind of help you to understand what I'm getting at and why I'm saying we, we, we cannot accept it. I, I grow a little weary with the attitude from pastors. Uh, you know, if you talk to some pastors, they, they, they're constantly a martyr. I'm not a fan of martyrism, okay? I really struggle with that. Well, my people just don't appreciate me. My people this and my people that. And I try to help them and they hate me for it. And blah, 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 blah. Grow up. Spiritually grow up. You better expect that if you're going to be in the ministry. If you're going to help anybody in life, guess what? Uh, Anybody, any of you kids got a knife on you today? Some of you kids carrying weapons? I know some of you are carrying them. You're just not showing them. You're concealing them right now. Take that knife and stick it in your back, all right? You feel that? Expect it if you're going to minister to people. But don't accept it as commonplace. That should not be the normal case. Those should be exceptions to the rule, not the norm. And I'm talking about in your own ministry and in your own lives. Expect it, but don't accept it as commonplace. So what should a pastor do if he's become the enemy in someone's eyes? Well, he ought to expect it, but don't accept it as commonplace. Number two, he needs to evaluate the situation himself and his response. He needs to evaluate the situation himself and his response. 
2 Timothy 4, 5. Turn there if you would, please. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. Second Timothy chapter four, verse five. <clears throat> the Bible says, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Wow. Okay, Timothy, you get that? Watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. You know, most often, and, and this is almost always the case, there's some element of truth in every criticism. There's an element of truth. Now, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not defining the percentage of truth in the criticism. Because sometimes it is minuscule. And at other times, it's rather large. And you know what? We can go ahead and be arrogant and prideful about it. We can say, they're, they're ridiculous. They're so jacked up. They don't even know what they're talking about. If they only knew all the... Yeah, right, whatever. You know what? As a pastor, the one bottom line thing is we better evaluate the situation. You better evaluate yourself, too. You better, not, you better get off your high horse as a pastor and say, you know what? The fact is, is that I'm not perfect either. So I'm, I'm, they're upset with me. They're, they're angry at me, maybe. I've become the enemy to them. Man, I better consider the circumstance of this situation. I better look into it a little bit in my own mind. I better meditate on it somewhat. I've, I'm going to pray about it and, and ask God to reveal in my heart if there's any truth to what's being said or, any, or the position that they're holding. The pastor who is wise will not simply dismiss criticism, but examine it for any shred of truth. He may not appreciate the spirit in which it was delivered. He may not even agree with the overall indictment. But he should be careful not to dismiss it. So we have to study, even scrutinize the situation on a case-by-case basis and consider whether or not he contributed to the misunderstanding or could have avoided it had he approached it differently. Now listen, that applies not only to pastors, that applies to parents. That applies to anybody that's a head of a Sunday school class that's dealing with a group of kids. When things don't go the way they ought to, instead of assuming everybody else is the one that's all jacked up and messed up, we ought to look at ourselves a little bit and ask ourselves, is there a reason why this is happening the way it is? We need to at least honestly evaluate ourselves and ask ourselves, am I doing things scripturally and biblically? Do I have the mind of Christ? Am I expressing myself in a Christ-like manner? Do I have the love of God in my heart? Am I really approaching this the way the Lord would and the way maybe those in the Word of God or how it's described and outlined in the Word of God? We need to do that. The pastor that's a wise pastor understands that misunderstandings are par for the course. It's going to happen. And that how he shares, how he expresses himself, how he explains or implements his ideas and plans can contribute to the problem to some degree or another at times. 
Listen, just because you're a pastor doesn't mean you're always right. And just because you have an idea doesn't mean that you just shove it down people's throats. And that's true as a dad. That's true as a mom. That's true as any leader. You have to be careful just because you are right and just because you have the right plan and you do know maybe something other people don't know doesn't give you the right to crush people in the process. And so there are times that people may look at the pastor and maybe because of a situation, maybe he confronts them on something and he has to ask himself, did I confront them with the right spirit? Did I go, did I make, did I try to, you know, did I go with an attacking attitude or did I go with a accepting one saying, I really want to see you helped and your heart's breaking for him. Did you really pray over it? Did you really pray for them before you approached them? I mean, what was your heart attitude in approaching? And it doesn't matter how, how sincere you were and it doesn't matter how much you sought the Lord's face. The truth is, is that if someone is determined to see you as the enemy, they'll see you as the enemy though. And, but you at least have to evaluate yourself because there have been times, even in my own ministry, I know it's hard for you to imagine, that I've gone to people and said, you know what? I, I do want to apologize for how I said what I said. I don't apologize for what I said. But I do apologize with the spirit that I said it. It was not said in the proper, it was misunderstood when I said it. I know that you misunderstood it, or I know that's why you're having a hard time with it. And I want you to understand, you're right. I should have said it this way, or I should have approached it another way. That's happened at least twice in my ministry. <laughs> okay, maybe three times. <clears throat> But honestly, I mean, really, I'll be honest with you. You don't have the problems usually if you're sensitive to the fact that you're human. And you approach people that way and realize that they're allowed to be wrong sometimes, just like you're wrong sometimes. It doesn't make them a bad person because they don't see eye to eye every time. You know, I, I think as a whole, Community Baptist Temple, we're, we're on the same sheet of music. We're moving in the same direction. And man, God's blessed us with that, that like-mindedness. And I appreciate that, and I love that. But let's be honest. I mean, how many different personalities, how many different ideas, how many different upbringings? And you know what I'm saying? I mean, so the pastor needs to be very careful. And if, if this happens and someone is viewing him as the enemy, he needs to be careful to at least before he does anything, says anything, goes off the handle or approaches anybody, he needs to evaluate the situation. He needs to evaluate himself and his response to make sure that he's aligning 100% with Scripture and that it isn't a personal matter, but it's a principle matter and that he's safe to stand where he stands and then do it with the right spirit. Number three, what else can the pastor do? What should he do if he's become the enemy in someone's eyes? Number three, he needs to express and extend love. Express and extend love. Philippians chapter two, verse five, we've already used it, but it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's funny how when people don't do what the pastor wants them to do, they think the pastor doesn't like them. Where are they getting that idea? 
Where are you getting that idea? Why would somebody even think that? It's because we want people to like us. We want to be accepted. And the truth is, down deep, we think we're right all the time. So no one's allowed to disagree with you or they don't like you. That makes no sense at all. Husband, wife, your wife doesn't like you now? Your husband doesn't like you? You agree on everything, 100%, without ever any dissent. Your children always agree with you. But as a pastor, you need to express and extend love. And you need to understand that people do not always respond in a biblical fashion. And many times their response is based on their upbringing. There's something missing in their heart that needs to be repaired and fixed. It's not that they intend to be bad or to do the wrong thing. It's not that they want to to hurt you even. They just aren't getting it. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And we have to be careful as spiritual doctors that we don't just go in and say, you know what, you have a terminal disease, unplug them. You can't do that. You know, we can't, as pastors, necessarily control the feelings of people. Can't control the actions of the congregation. Can't do that. But I can control my feelings and I can control my actions. And you know, the truth is, is that right is always right. Whether whether I'm the one being attacked or I'm the one attacking, right is always right. And so I've got to be careful, and so do you as a a leader possibly in your home or wherever it may be. Paul would go on in in this particular passage to refer to the Galatians as, quote, my little children. Isn't that interesting? What an endearing title that is. What an amazing title that is. Here he is saying to them in verse 16, he says, you know, because am I your enemy because I tell you the truth? But he also refers to them as my little children. You know what that does? That puts me right in the home. Doesn't it make you feel like you're sitting in the living room and Paul's there with his children and he's saying, man, you guys, how can you look at me that way? After everything I've tried to do for you, I want you to know you're still my dear little children. I mean, it was obvious that his heart was to love them, to care for them, even those who had misunderstood his motives and even attacked him. That's that's what Paul did. I want you to note a simple principle in the Word of God, a staple principle, I guess I could call it. Look at Matthew 5, 44. Matthew 5, verse 44. We, uh, you know, you and I, as, as believers, let's face it, we... We are big about the Bible. We are like, hey man, the word of God is my faith and practice and it's wonderful until it goes contrary to how we want to respond or how we feel. This one right here is going to rock your world maybe. Matthew 5, 44, Jesus said, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you and do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Wow. That's a mouthful. That goes against everything we've been taught, raised to believe. You're going to push me, I'm going to push you. 
You're going to say something bad about me? I'm going to rip you back, buddy. You know, we all know the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth verse. And yet Jesus says in the New Testament now, as he moves in, and this is basically a millennial doctrine, but he simply says, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now, how many times have we heard a child say to his parents, I hate you? You ever heard a a child say that to their parent? Hopefully it wasn't yours to you, but it could have very well happened. Children learn words like hate, and they know that those are very, very powerful words, and they use them sometimes. Maybe you heard a child, uh, maybe one of your relative's kids called their mom or dad. Maybe your sister or brother's kids did that. Or maybe you were at the store and heard somebody say, I hate you. In most cases, that response is a result of a child not getting their own way, isn't it? I mean, is it or isn't it? You're checking out on me here. Because you're like, he's going to get us, isn't he? (laughs) Hey, how many parents in that situation would reply by saying, fine, I hate you too. And so you can fend for yourself now. You know what? Go find your own shelter, your own food, and your own clothing. And you know what? As Mr. Wonderful says on the Shark Tank, you're dead to me. You know what I'm saying? How many, how many parents would do that? I don't think a whole lot would. I, matter of fact, I don't think any parent that really cares even a little for their kids would respond in that kind of manner. I, I don't think so, at least. I believe a parent would still love their child. And I believe they'd still do their best to meet the need of their child. Now, they can't control necessarily how their child feels. But I'm going to tell you this. In this particular case, let me say this, parent, you can control what your child says. Now, I might not be able to control what a, what a congregate, congregant says or, what, or, or some member of the church says or what somebody that attends the church says. I can't go, you know what, if you say that again, I'm going to smack your mouth, boy. <laughs> now, I may feel like saying that, but I, wouldn't say, I, I couldn't say that, right? And then you say, somebody might say, well, go ahead and try. Well, trust me, you don't want to mess with that right there. You, you want nothing with that right there. Nothing with that. Don't mess with that. <laughs> but a parent would try to meet the need. Because they do genuinely care and love their child. And guess what? Down deep, the parent's going, you know what? That's, he's just a stupid little kid. He don't even know what he's saying right now. She don't even understand what she's saying. She can't possibly mean that. Now, in like manner, a pastor, when confronted with an angry or irrational church member, has to remember who the parent is. You've got to remember who the parent is. You can't allow the child to determine or dictate your response. I would dare say that there have been some pastors when, when treated that way that responded in like manner with, to the person that was saying those things to them. But that isn't how they ought to have responded according to the Word of God. 
It doesn't make what the person's saying true, and it doesn't make what they're saying right, but it does matter how the pastor responds because the pastor's to be the parent, if you will, in that situation. The pastor should be above that in the sense that, spiritually speaking, he's at a different plane then because he shouldn't be at that level because if he is, he probably shouldn't be a pastor. And furthermore, as a child of God, you shouldn't be at that level. But if you are, you should have a pastor that says, I still love you. And I, I can't, I, I'm going to have to still take my stand if, if indeed it's transgressing the law or it's not, you're not living up to that. I'm trying to help you. Trust me, my goal is not to hurt you. And they ought to have a sweet spirit about that, even though you may be ready to claw their eyes out. So we got to continue to love and do our best to bring reconciliation to the situation. So when a child is angry with a parent, it doesn't mean again that the parent's done anything wrong, does it? Your child ever been angry at you because you didn't let them do what they wanted to do? Because you drew a line in the sand? Because you drew, made a rule? Or because you said, no, listen, we, you know, we're going to follow the rules. We're not going to do things your way. We're going to do it my way. And your kid goes, I hate you. Does that make the child right because they say it? Does everybody in the household, let me, let me, let me throw this one out. Does everybody in the household go, Man, dad must have done something wrong for Junior to say, I hate you. Dad must have done something really wrong, or there's no way that child would have said that to him. I've never thought that. When a kid says that, I look at the kid and go, I can't even believe that. The only thing that dad did wrong is if he doesn't discipline that and address that issue. Then that's when dad's doing something wrong. But because dad drew a line in the sand, I don't think, dad, you must be overly, overly harsh. You, you must be one of those, um, you know, you must be really trying to uh, hold him under your thumb. You must not let him do anything. It, you must have done something wrong and to, 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 to him reciprocate in such a fashion. But let me tell you something. Don't, be bought, don't buy into this idea that just because some church member sees the pastor as the enemy that the pastor must have done something wrong. Don't do that. If you've got a question about it, you go see your pastor about it. Amen. Don't pull the congregation. And you do no good listening to that angry member. Probably do you real good to stop talking to them about it. And not talk to them about anything if they can't shut their mouth about it. Because really, the saying that I have is like this. It goes like this. I've said it for years. Something I came up with a number of years, probably 20 years ago. Do not share your problems with someone who's not part of the solution. And honestly, church members cannot fix a pastor. You as a church member need to go to your pastor and fix the problem. And so if you're the one sitting on the outside going, man, uh, you know, I don't understand this. I mean, John, for the most part, has been pretty faithful the last three years. And uh, he's angry with the pastor. And matter of fact, he, he's ticked off at the pastor. And man, pastor must have done something pretty bad to get him ticked off. Well, whatever happened to that is 20 years the pastor's been faithful. Just kind of trying to figure that one out. I'm just saying we don't think straight sometimes. Now, I'm talking to you as a pastor about how a pastor ought to think. And I'm trying to help you understand where you need to come from with this. This is very practical stuff. Churches are destroyed because of this stuff. Now, Again, the pastor has to understand that he can be loathed for no other reason than that he spoke the truth or didn't allow someone to have their own way. He's got to remember that. 
And the truth is, children aren't the only ones that throw tantrums. Adults do too. They do a pretty good job of it. I don't know, maybe you can think of a time when, I don't know, you could have been characterized more as a child than an adult. You know, like my grandma used to say, guilty as charged. That's me. There's been times in my life I act more like a kid than an adult at times. Whether it's with my wife or maybe even with my family or responding to one of my kids' escapades and I just flip out and wig out. And I think later, that was stupid. I'm acting just like they are now. I'm just saying, we have to be cognitive of, our, of the reality that we are human and flesh. And as pastors, you can't forget that either in your own mind. And you have to realize that about people too. So, when, so, so we have to be careful. In 1 Corinthians 13, 11, turn there, would you? And we're going to close this out here uh, for this, this time. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. It's never easy. Well, I'll tell you what. If there is something that just, I, I guess, is gut-wrenching to a pastor, it's when somebody they love and somebody they have invested in and somebody that they've prayed over and somebody that they have watched grow in the ministry and in their walk with Christ turns to them and says, without saying it word for word, You've become the enemy. Now, you'll never know what that feels like. My brother Dave would know. He was a pastor. But you'll never know what that feels like. It's not taken lightly. It's not something that helps you sleep at night. Notice what he says in 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child... I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, Paul is addressing this great theme of charity. It's a tremendous theme. He points out that, well, he says in verse 8, charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Now, once the written word of God, and, and, and we're going to see this, it was perfect and it was completed. Once the word of God comes, those things that are done in part would be done away with. Now we know that if someone says, well, that was Jesus Christ there. Well, that's interesting because Jesus Christ has already been ascended to heaven and we still have tongues and we still have a word of knowledge and, and we, we still have uh, this aspect of, you know, these different uh, gifts here. But there are some of these gifts that are going to go away when that which is perfect has come. Can I tell you that today we, have in, we hold in our hands a perfect word? And boy, when this thing was completed, there was no need for some of these particular uh, gifts, if you will. And Paul illustrates this. Um, he illustrates it through a maturation process in his own life. So he says, he says to himself and to others, he says, when I was a child... I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. What he's really telling them is this. He says, you know, as a child, he was limited in his ability to speak. He, he was limited to understanding. He was limited to his thinking. 
Listen, there's no child, and this is why it's important, parent, that you don't have to always reason with your kids when they're very young. Because they don't think right, and they don't understand right, and they don't speak right. They're children. Their understanding is limited. So you need to train them and teach them. And Paul's simply saying here, he's saying, now listen here, um, you know what, now that I have grown to manhood... I'm capable of doing these things. I'm quite capable of of, of speaking and understanding and thinking as I ought. And you know what? The application that is made to the church here, the early church or the infant church, had need of these prophecies. They had need of these tongues and these words of knowledge. But now that the church has matured spiritually, now that it has grown up some through these last few years, those gifts were no longer needed. See, when they were a child, they, they, they needed those gifts as an infant church. They don't need them now. They're more mature than that. And they've got something much more dependable. This. You say, well, what's the application? Well, I believe a practical application can be made here concerning our topic. And I, I think as believers, we need to come to a place where our speech, our understanding, and our knowledge has grown such that we stop responding in a childish manner. We can't allow ourselves to be ruled by our feelings and our emotions, but instead we've got to allow biblical fact to rule our outlook, our attitude, and our responses. So that means that the believer cannot resent God's spokesman for proclaiming the truth or standing firm on a biblical principle, that's just simply childish. That's immature. That's spiritual immaturity coming out. However, it also means that the pastor, no matter how despised or rejected, or the enemy he appears to be in the mind of someone else, he cannot respond in like manner. He can't go back at them. That's childish. He can't say, you don't like me, I don't like you. So you, you act like you want to leave? Go ahead and leave. That's childish. That's spiritually immature. It works both ways here. And so Matthew 5.44 says, I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Let me ask you something. If a pastor is supposed to, or even a Christian, is supposed to love their enemies, how much more should he love his family? Because really that person's not the enemy. I'll tell you who is, though. Satan. And a pastor can't get caught up in the emotion of it either. And he's got to come to the place where he says, you know what? I don't understand it. I don't get it. I've evaluated. I've looked at the situation. I I spoke the truth and love. I, I did everything I could to protect them, to help them, to encourage them, to put them on the right track. I've tried to be honest as I can be. I've tried to be as transparent as possible. But the fact is, I don't get it, but here's the thing. I still love them. I don't care. They can hate me all they want. They can say that I'm not, I'm not speaking in their best interest. They can say I'm selfish and self-centered. They can say, it's all about you, preacher. We got to do everything you say or it's never good enough. And he says, you know what? Okay. Whatever. I can't fix how they feel or how they act, but I can control this. And I'm still going to love them, and I'm going to be there. And if they'll let me, I will work on reconciliation. I will try to help them and myself come to a place where we can say, you know what? This is childish. Let's move forward. Let's get past this. 
and then we can both look at each other in the face and say, you know what? God's going to use this to make us all better in the long run. He's going to teach us something through it and enable us to be better for him. I don't know. Let me just stop by saying this. Do you know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven today? If you've never settled that, you need to settle it tonight. Do not walk out of this place not knowing Christ as your Lord and Savior. There is a heaven and there is a hell. Settle it today. Know for sure that heaven's your home and that Christ is your Lord and Savior. Let him change your life. Let him make a difference like no one else can. You'll be glad you did. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for all you mean to us. We thank you for all that you, all that you do for us.